Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing, where each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom from the female perspective. Everything from Star Wars, to The Office, to cosplay, to fanfic. It's all right here, so sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of It's a Fandom Thing. This week, we're going to be talking about the Lord of the Rings trilogy. We're going to be mainly focusing on the films, but we will mention the books briefly. Um, and as I mentioned on last week's episode, I am very new to this. I watched one film. I did watch <laughs> The Two Towers last night because everybody that's on this said if I was going to only watch one, that's the one I should watch. So I did watch one. Um, so I'm going to be mainly just serving as a moderator. Uh, so it should be interesting just to hear about it. I, I love I love hearing that. I love learning new things. That was the same way it was with the Sherlock episode and a little bit with the Star Wars episodes as well. Um, and I'm also excited because we have two people on today that this is their first time being on the podcast. So that's really exciting. Um, and as always, though, before we start talking about Lord of the Rings, I'm going to go around and have everybody introduce themselves and tell me one thing that they're excited about right now in pop culture or fandom. Start with you, Danelle. Hi, um, yeah, so my name's Amal, and I am really excited right now about Discovery of Witches. I'm really excited for the second season of that, and that's hopefully coming out this fall. I haven't, I haven't heard of that. I don't think I've heard of that. Where, where is that? What's that on? Um, it's Discovery of Witches is on, I believe, AMC now, and I think it was originally recorded for Sundance, um, and then oh, they re-aired okay. it on AMC and I caught it when they re-aired it on AMC, and it's based on a book trilogy, you know, so kind of coming in line with what we're talking about today, um, yeah. but it's based on a, a series of books, and it's it's a lot of fun, um, you know, vampires and and witches and other fun creatures, and um, really intriguing. So I really enjoyed huh. the first season, so I'm looking forward to seeing what they come up with for the second. Huh. I'll have to keep an eye out for that one. Um, and then Sarah? Hi, I'm uh, Sarah. Um, right now, there's a couple things. Uh, just started watching Hunters on Amazon Prime. Um, only into the first episode, but it seems really good. And it's one that the hus husband enjoys watching as well. We don't find too many shows that we uh, agree on, since I'm more sci-fi fantasy than him. Um, but I am also, uh, with the new Black Widow trailer, Dropping this week, I am really excited for that one and am slowly counting the days to go see it. <laughs> I've been wanting a Black <laughs> Widow movie since, oh, Iron Man 2. So, super excited. Yeah, and hopefully that, I mean, who knows, that? hopefully that won't get postponed, but we'll not. see, you know, because everything's getting postponed. <laughs> uh, I know right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, and then, and Tiffany? Hi, I'm Tiffany. This is my first time on the podcast. Hopefully not my last time. Erin, please don't throw me off. And, 
<laughs> and uh, I actually just started yesterday um, the series Queen Sano on Netflix. Um, it stars Pearl Tusi, and she is a South African actress who was on, if you caught Quantico, that used to be on ABC mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a few years back. She was on Quantico for a couple of seasons, and she's also executive producing uh, Queen Sano. And she stars as, a, I mean, she is a total just kick butt spy. Um, and it's a really, really interesting viewpoint of like South African culture. The cast is majority um uh, is majority South African uh, and some other sub-Saharan countries as well. Uh, so really interesting. I'm looking forward to it, uh, to finishing it. I'm through three episodes so far. So it's a lot of fun. Oh, cool. I'll have to check that one out too. And, you, and it was on Netflix, right? It is on Netflix. Yes. Okay, cool. Awesome. Some things that I haven't really heard of. Well, I've heard of Hunters, but I haven't heard of the other ones. So, so that's awesome. Cool. Cause I've been looking for some new shows to stream. So I'm going to have to put those ones down. And this is Aaron, and um, I'm going to break my rule like I do a lot of times. Um, since I know, hopefully, everybody out there is practicing self-distancing um, right now during um, the coronavirus. So I know that, you know, you might be stuck in trying to find stuff to watch. Um, so I'm going to recommend some films to watch. And some of these I have definitely mentioned before. Um, I'm actually just going to highlight uh, just because I've mentioned how much I love this actor before, but I'm going to highlight Kelvin Harrison Jr. and a little mini marathon you could have. And they're all really dark and heavy movies. So they're not, I mean, you'll want to lighten things up afterwards, but um, there's Waves, which as I've said before, was my favorite movie of last year. That one, um, you can't stream it for free. It's available for rent, but you know, it's a smaller movie. So why not give it some money and um, his performance, everybody's performances really, but his performance is probably one of the best of the last decade. Um, And then there's Loose, which is available on Hulu. And the added treat with that is Octavia Spencer's performance, and she should have been sweeping supporting actress last year. Still upset about that. Um, And then the last one is It Comes at Night, which was also directed by um, Trey Edward Schultz, who did Waves. And that one's on Netflix. And that's kind of fits in with what's going on right now. It's kind of like a contagion film um it's very much about family it's it's a horror movie but it's really more psychological um and all the performances are great in that so that that's a great one and then if you want to lighten things up a little bit uh you can i mean there there are some heavy themes to this too but this one's a lot lighter um the farewell is available on amazon prime and that's another movie that should have gotten a lot of oscar love so check out that one as well Okay, great. So now let's hop into all things Lord of the Rings. Um, I'm going to first just ask, uh, did everybody read the books? I'll start with you, Janelle. Yeah, well, I haven't read all of them, I have to admit. I've read, I read the first one, and I believe I got almost all the way through Two Towers before I got interrupted and, and started a book club. So I got kind of sidetracked with reading some books for that. Um, but I definitely want to go back and revisit and finish the series for sure. Okay, cool. And then Sarah, did oh, you yeah. read them? Oh yeah, but it's been 30 years or so. I read them as a teenager, I think between my freshman and sophomore year in high school. And I read all three plus The Hobbit in one summer. Uh, my parents had them sitting on our bookshelf for a while and 
kept meaning to read them and finally did and just fell in love with the series. Cool. And did you read them, Tiffany? I did. Um, I started with The Hobbit in the first grade. Um, I was kind of an early reader. So my mom thought I needed to expand my um, the things that I was reading. So we went to the library and she said, well, how about this? And so I said, okay. And that was that. <laughs> the, uh, the full trilogy when I was in the fourth grade. Uh, and I generally kind of revisited the trilogy. I, I haven't read The Hobbit in, in many, many moons, but I usually revisit the trilogy like maybe every five years or so. It's probably been about five years since I read it. And so I'll probably this summer be be going back just to refresh. I, I do like to just revisit the themes. I've seen the film so many times that I like to go back and, and refresh my mind on what the differences are. Hmm. Cool. Cool. And then um, what drew you guys to the books and then to the movies? Um, to now, we'll start yeah, with you. So I, I read The Hobbit um, as a kid. And of course, I think a lot of us have probably seen the animated version um, that was really popular. I'm kind of cheating myself with that. But um, <laughs> it was a, it was such a, a wonderful treat as a kid. And I always loved the story. So, um, But I, I got into it when the films came out, to be really honest. Um, the, just hearing about the films. And I had some friends who were really into it. And so... I decided I made the decision, the conscious decision to actually see the films first um, because they were about to come out. And I thought it, um, it would be kind of fun to a friend of mine just suggested, you know, see the films first and then read and see what you think. So um, I went that way and I, I've been in love with the series ever since. I, I think I've seen the films. I can't even tell you how many times um, they're kind of my go to <laughs> when I am feeling down or bad weather. It's like, yeah, let's have a marathon. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah that's cool that's cool it's always good to have those you know your go-to things that help you I think um and especially now I think that would be good too to have that so um that's and then always. Sarah um yeah it was probably a recommendation by my mother um who was uh, always very good and still is uh at at recommending uh books that I would enjoy um and I think it was the first I was reading a lot of uh, Stephen King at the time, Dean Koontz. Um, oh, you know, more more the horror genre. Um, and I think this was my first uh, taste of sci-fi fantasy and just absolutely loved it. And when I found out they were making them into, into movies, um, oh yeah, I, I was there. <laughs> um, I actually made my husband read. I said, you're going to read the books before we see the movies. So he's, he's got them a little bit more uh, fresh in his mind uh, than I do. Um, but yeah, we, uh, I think we ended up seeing uh, the first one on uh, Christmas day. We had just moved to Florida. I know I'm rambling um, and really had nothing else to do. And then uh, the two towers I remember seeing, I was seven months pregnant with my oldest. And sitting through a three-hour movie when you're seven months pregnant is not fun <laughs> at all. No, oh, wow. no. <laughs> um, which I, I still say is the reason that my oldest loves Lord of the Rings. <laughs> because I was pregnant with him when uh, when I saw it, and I, you know, I just I always love the books. Um, you know, there's a couple little things with the movie that are um, different, but you know, overall, I think they did a fantastic job. Some of my favorites. Awesome. 
Awesome. And then Tiffany, what drew you to them? Well, I think as a kid, it's interesting how everybody's moms really kind of got them into this. <laughs> yeah, that is <laughs> mom. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, she she wanted me to um, to keep me occupied. So she's like, okay, this thing is like a billion pages. So <laughs> let's get you into this. <laughs> so that's really what uh, I guess drew her in to draw me in. And it was it was a good um, it was a good way to escape um, and just really dive into like your you have to use your imagination and and the way that Tolkien writes it is very um, vivid in the way it stands out. So it was very helpful. So when I did hear about, I remember actually reading an article. I don't know if it was in a magazine or a newspaper when the films um, were in pre-production. And I was like, huh, this is going to be something that I'm definitely going to go see because I remember just loving the books. And I knew I wanted to see how it would actually stack up. And I'll go into that later on down the line because I can talk and talk and talk and talk about, <laughs> <laughs> about, about my love of the film. So I, I'll hold off on saying anything more. <laughs> okay, cool. cool. Well, and, and I'll just briefly jump in and just say I'm the only one here who hasn't read the books, obviously. Um, so I guess my mom failed there. She, <laughs> she didn't encourage me to read them. But I was reading. I mean, I read stuff like. Dean Koontz and stuff when I was growing up too. So I read a lot of horror, but I didn't read them. And, um, but I, I know that someday maybe I should read them and, and visit all the movies. So I just wanted to jump in there and just add that quickly. Um, okay. And then before we go into talking about the movies, actually, I want to jump around here a little bit and just talk about, um, the writing and, um, the writer. And I don't know if you guys have anything you want to add in about, about, the way they were written or anything you want to say about Tolkien or the way he wrote his books or anything. If, if you guys have anything you want to add in on that to now to you. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, I was really surprised at the between kind of the lyricism of the films versus the, the way Tolkien wrote. And he was so um, detail oriented. And I think that's one of the things that struck me most. And the only thing I can kind of compare it to, I guess, would be, or modern, a more modern writer would be like, uh, kind of reminds me with that crazy detail, right? Like down to the little detail and how he yeah. created the world, I think is what fascinated me the most when I read them and what kind of, why I have love for the books and love for the films kind of separately because of that difference. I mean, I think the details in the film are beautiful, but... And I think um, Peter Jackson, I know we'll talk about that later, but how he honored that. But I think the details in the books are just extraordinary. And um, Tolkien's imagination, just, wow, how he created this entire world that I personally, I want to go, you know, like <laughs> I want to go hang out in Rivendell and like see Minasteris and all of these places, you know, like it just, and hang out in the Hobbit, in Hobbiton and, and hang out there. So yeah, I, I definitely think the details are probably the main thing that, stand out to me just his imagination for and just okay um and then sarah do you have anything um, you want to add there about the writing i mean it like what what, what uh, danelle said and that's what i again it's been a while since i've read them but i i do remember that that like the the, the world that he created and described there was so so much thought so much imagination and so much detail 
uh, put into it. It is definitely that type of series where, yeah, you need you need to use your imagination and you need to you can't you can't skip over things <laughs> um, when when you read it. Um, and I, I mean, it was just for me, it was just so incredible to read that as a kid. And I mean, how I would love to know how he came up with this world and these languages and, and the songs that he would put in there that, that the various characters would sing um, was just phenomenal. Um, I, I, you know, I, I could probably go on and on gushing about it. Um, but like you had said, I mean, the, the one and who I think is, I, I don't want to say worse <laughs> um, because that doesn't sound right. Um, but yeah, like George R.R. R. Martin and, and what he's put into uh, uh, his books um, is, is very similar. Um, but I think he, uh, he tends to go off on things that he really doesn't need to describe. Uh, that's a whole other <laughs> That's a whole other podcast right there. <laughs> Game of Thrones. You know, yeah. seen the show and the books. You could do two different podcasts on that. Um, but absolutely, I mean, just always loved uh, just the detail and the imagery um, that he would describe. It was just amazing. Yeah, and and, uh, and we will definitely be doing Game of Thrones at some point. That's another one that I have never ever seen an episode but I've heard everything about it but I've never seen an episode or read the books either but that's definitely one that we'll have to do it's on my list of alternative and upcoming ones so yeah yeah and then Tiffany I think the uh, I just you know would like to echo what Danelle and, and Sarah said the, the world building and mm. then the layering that Ian gives us I, there is in my mind I don't think that there is a modern day author that compares to what he was um, in taking from his in real life experiences and putting it into this mm. this faux world this this earth um, yes are there parallels absolutely you know they say that Hobbiton is um, Tolkien's like a you know kind of this um, English countryside type of uh, type of world type of land and then obviously the um, Mordor is the horror of of war so yes are there parallels absolutely but he goes mm -hmm. different he goes beyond that he goes deeper than that and I do think that the only person that can probably come close to that is probably George R R Martin. Um, simply because of the volume that he's managed to churn out. Right? Although, where's the last <laughs> right? book, George? We're still waiting. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Seriously, where's the last book? There's actually but, a funny um, video on that. That's <laughs> probably... <laughs> it really is that one. <laughs> um, my, yeah, that's, that's probably the only person that I can think of. Um, to a certain extent, maybe... Mm. Stephen King slightly because you can see how his themes loop around each other. It's all very um, mm -hmm. New Englandy, I guess you could say. Um, that kind of um, synthesis and 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 symbiotic energy where everything is intertwined. Mm -hmm. But he, he in no way comes close to what Tolkien did. 
so I'm I'm still in awe every time I, I see it on film or every time I, I read it, I read a passage of it. Uh, it's it's really impressive to me what he was able to accomplish. Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. I love listening to other people um, <laughs> geeking out and fan and fanning out about stuff that, you know, especially especially stuff that I don't know anything about. It's just really, really interesting. It always makes me um, intrigued to learn more. So so that's I just I love being able to just sit back and listen to you guys talking about this. It's pretty cool. Um, OK, so let's dive now into the movies, because I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of lot of gushing there. Um, so. What are what's your who are your favorite characters? First off, who are your favorite characters in uh, the movies? Danelle? Oh wow, um, <laughs> that's a tough one for me. <laughs> I love so many of them. I mean, there's so many different reasons to love so many of the different characters. Um, you know, of course, Aragorn is more one of my favorites. Um, Arwen, um, and of course, in the films, she's not so much in the books, but in the films, um, a lot more prominent. And I absolutely love her and Eowyn. Um, as far as strong females. And of course, who can't love Sam and Frodo? I mean, there's so much to love about those two and their courage. <laughs> so it's it's kind of hard for me to choose. I mean, and Gandalf, um, you know, what, just the way that character um, is, is portrayed in the film and, a, a, you know, by such a screen legend. <laughs> um, absolutely uh, a wonderful performance. Um, so it's hard for me to pick, but I mean, especially the relationship, the friendship between Sam and Frodo, I think is what really drew me when I first saw the films. So, yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. And the Sarah? Or the whole list? I don't even know if I can, can rank them. Um, I mean, well, Sam, obviously Sam. Um, I, I just adore him, and uh, Sean Astin was perfect. <laughs> I can't think of anyone else playing a uh, Samwise Gamgee, um, and, and just his 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 devotion and and friendship with Frodo, and how he would sacrifice everything for him, um, is just to me just wonderful. Um, Eowyn. Absolutely. Um, she really does, pardon my language, kick ass. Uh, uh-huh. In the end, um, I think that's probably one of my favorite scenes of the movies where she takes off her helmet and says, I am no man, and just stabs the wraith in the face. One of my favorite scenes. I'm sorry. I, I apologize for the spoilers, Erin. <laughs> oh, it's okay. Spoilers, spoilers. <laughs> Um, it's okay. Aragorn, um, you know, Arwen, I'm little, uh, because she didn't have such a prominent role in, in the books from what I remember. Um, but I did, I, I did enjoy her, um, all the hobbits in general, Frodo, Sam, Mary Pippin, just their relationship and, and how they grow and change over the course of, of the movies and the, and the books. Again, it's been a while. Uh, Gandalf, I, I, Ian McKellen was perfect. I mean, he, he is Gandalf, just as he is Magneto. Um, oh my God. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just gonna stop there because I keep going and, and you know, I need, Tiffany needs something to talk about. <laughs> 
So I'm just gonna shut up now. <laughs> I know I, I'm I'm just I'm sitting here and I'm nodding my head. I'm nodding my head. I'm like, mm-hmm. Yep, that's it. That's right. <laughs> um, you know, honestly. It, it's interesting when you say that that Ian McKellen is Gandalf, Sean Astin is Samwise, because there, in my mind, there are no other actors that could portray those characters no. the way they did. Um, the, the way they cast the, these films is just it, it's just spot on. And I was actually going to talk about a, a major casting later on. I don't know if you want me to mention it, Erin, because we were going to talk about it later. But just I'm going to mention it. Yeah, mention it. <laughs> because, go for it. <laughs> so it's so central because in the films, um, Aragorn is absolutely probably my top of the pops. Um, and do you, I don't know if you all had ever heard this, but you know, Viggo Mortensen was not really? the original Aragorn. All right, yes. Okay. He was, it was actually no, Stuart no. Townsend. And no. yes, and they were in the middle of filming. They had filmed, I think they said a full week worth of scenes. And Peter Jackson said, hey, you know what? It's Thank not working. Wow. This is not working. And they put, <laughs> and they, and they pulled him and they put in a call to Vigo and Vigo was on a plane like that night and and filming the next day so that in my mind is so incredibly impressive when you know mm-hmm. how physical that character is he's doing hand-to-hand combat he's doing a lot of sword work he's on the horse for goodness sake you know I mean that that in and of itself that mm-hmm. you know the equestrian um, element to it is incredible um and i can't think of anybody else who could have played i think of what would it be if that original actor had no. been, and it just does not work in my no. mind it does at all and that's not to take away from the type of actor that he is mm-hmm. i think he's i think he's fine as an actor he's had some good performances but no. he was I, not I the right agree with that or, i mean whoever yeah. You know, sorry to interrupt, but whoever whoever was in charge of the casting for these films was <coughs> spot on. I think with all the roles, yes, um, you know, I, I can't absolutely. think of absolutely. one actor in the films that I disagreed with. Like, mm, you know, so and so would have been better because um, I was just watching the Two Towers last night, and you know, and I completely I don't know how I forgot, but I forgot Carl Urban was in it as Amor, and I'm like, oh, that's right. I forgot he was oh. in this with long hair. Huh? And then I swooned for a little bit. Um, yes. But just all of them, all of them were just perfectly cast. And, and what I pictured from what I remembered from when I read the books, that is how, in, in my head, how I pictured the characters. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And when Carl Urban, when he steps onto the screen, yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. wow. That's a man. <laughs> that first shot of Aragorn in the in the um, in the first film, when you first see him in the prancing pony, right in dark mm. shadow, and then he comes out of the shot, and I'm like, oh uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> like, oh yeah. You know, I, I remember watching the film. And I was like, who the heck is that? And um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's the they cast so beautifully. Um, yeah. Absolutely, just pick the perfect people for these roles. I couldn't see anybody else playing any of the the main characters. I can't really picture anybody no. else playing any of them. 
And yeah. I, w- I wonder if there's any footage of uh, that first week of filming. I wonder if there's any of that out there. Oh, there's got to be. Because I know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because I know, like, you know, for, in- <laughs> for instance, with, like, Back to the Future, um, Eric Stoltz was originally the one cast as Marty McFly. And they shot a bunch of stuff. And then they went, this is not going right. And that footage is available. It's out there. But then they fired him and brought in. Um, you know, Michael J. Fox. So, yeah. So Which, again, thank you. Thank you to Howie <laughs> on Back to the Future. Love Eric Stoltz. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, who can... And, yeah. And, yeah. yeah, but Marty Fly is Michael J. Fox, exactly. and Michael yep. J. Fox is Marty exactly. McFly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. There's yeah. no... Oh, Aaron, can I mention yeah. one, more, um, one more character? Yeah, uh, I was actually going to ask you more. He's more of a um, a side character, but can we talk about oh, Hugo Weaving yes. as Lord oh, Elrond? Yes, love him. The expression, the expressiveness of his yeah. eyebrows. <laughs> that, that, and I know no, it sounds no, weird. No, it doesn't at all. I know it sounds Absolutely weird, but not. Yeah, it's. I mean, every expression that he gives from his his amusement which is not even, it's just a twitch. It's just a twitch of his face when he's amused. It's just a, it's a look of disdain when he's irritated. <laughs> he's a heck of an actor. I mean, to go from playing, playing Lord Elrond yes. to playing Agent Smith and then Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. I mean, what? Like, amazing. And don't forget what's called. Right. Oh, yeah. right. Yes. Oh, and V for right. Vendetta, you know, and V for Vendetta. <gasps> Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> I need to watch that. I read it, yes. never watched it. I got to watch it. Incredible. Incredible film. Yeah. Yeah. And his, yeah, you're right about his, I mean, I, I, you know, I can't speak since I've only watched one of the films, but you're right about his eyebrows. His eyebrows are very, <laughs> very expressive. There are some actors that they just have certain tools that they use that are just more expressive than others. And yeah, that's definitely one of, one of his. So yeah. Are there any other ones you want to? Shout out to Tiffany. Oh, um, oh, you know what? Grima Wormtongue. Yes. Grima Wormtongue. Oh, yeah. Uh, amazing performance. Oh, yes. Amazing performance. Um, performance. Um, when you see, and of course, I did not write down the actor's name, and I know what it is. It's right there in the head. It's, it's right here in my head. Brad. And, Brad Dorff. Yes. Yes. Brad yes. Dorf. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Brad. I knew who the father of, of uh, what's her face on Dark Gently. Um, oh God, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, he is, and he's an intense actor. He's he's very intense. It's it's well documented how he um, he is is very method, and uh, he'll walk around as his character pretty much for the entire shoot. Uh, and that's what he needs to do to get his performance out there. And that's awesome. Uh, if, as long as he's not bothering other people with it, yeah. <laughs> uh, but his, yeah, his performance is Grima is so creepy and it's so, um, mm-hmm. it really gets under your skin. I think staring at Eowyn oh. as she's walking. Oh, by. That was so oh, that yeah. Creeps, creeps, creeps. Yeah. Yeah. So creepy. Just your skin crawl. And it's just little things that he's able to do too with his face um, that really, really push that performance through. It's a small role. It's small, it's but it's, it's an impactful. Role. Yeah. And I think great actors, yeah, 
yeah, the great actors really know how to make the most of their on-screen time. And he's definitely one of them. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so true. When you have um, actors that can take smaller roles and uh, really own them. And um, yeah, that, that's a special thing to watch. And yeah, especially in those method actors that really go all out, <laughs> they can make it even more, in- more intense. So Cool. Cool. Okay. Well, and I have a feeling I know what everybody's going to say just by what you guys told me uh, previous to recording before recording. Uh, but what's everybody's favorite movie? I'll start with you, Janelle. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I do love them all, but I think Return of the King is actually probably my favorite. I, I love the first film for setting the stage, right? To, for giving us that that introduction to the world and taking us through what's happening and the setup. And I think that's what's so great about the, that film. And then the second film really gets to the meat of it. And I know that's a lot of you guys' favorite film, The Two Towers. Um, but The Return of the King, I think seeing the conclusion um, for me was probably my favorite. Um, but it's hard, to, it's hard to pick. Yeah. So I'm gonna go with Return. Cool, cool. And that was the one that um, ended up winning for Best Picture, which probably was an award just to award the whole trilogy. But um, Oh, two towers. And then Sarah. Hands down. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think I, I, I enjoyed yeah. that. I think that one is my favorite. Favorite? Having a little trouble talking today. <laughs> um, for the same, almost the same reason that Empire Strikes Back is my favorite Star Wars film. Um because it, it 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 does it does kind of get into like you said the, the the meat of the story and the battle the filming of the battle for Helm's Deep is just amazing um, probably one of my uh, favorite battle scenes I have seen in in a movie ever um, I'd also like to point out that it was filmed at night and we could actually see what was going on for those of you that have watched Game of Thrones might know what I'm referring to. <laughs> right? Amen. <laughs> like, well, that takes place at night. Yeah, so did the Battle of Brown Steve, and we could see everything that was going on. Um, and that's kind of when you see also see um, the two towers and, and during the Battle of Helm's Deep, the, uh, the relationship between Legolas and, and, and Gimli, how that has changed and how close they've become. And I always enjoyed, you know, that, that little bit of comic relief there where they're trying to one-up each other on how many orcs they've killed, <laughs> um, which yes. continues into yeah. the return yeah. of the king. And, um, and I, I just, I, I love how, how their relationship, um, you know, between, uh, from um, Fellowship of the Ring, where, you know, Gimli was very, very much anti-elf, I guess. Um, and, uh, you know, how, how close and, and how their friendship developed. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of reasons that, that it, and it, it, it's probably my favorite, um, how the ends come around at the end, um, once they realize what Saruman has done to the trees and how they end up getting into, uh, into the battle and, uh, defeating Saruman. Uh, there's so many things. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's interesting. And then, <laughs> and Tiffany. 
I, I, I echo and ditto everything that uh, Sarah said. <laughs> uh, Two Towers is my favorite out of the trilogy um, where the fellowship does lay the foundation and it's fantastic. There are some, some real moments of resonance that hit differently mm-hmm. in the fellowship than that do in the two towers and return of the king um just for example you know yes. gandalf's oh. fly you fools and where where that one you know where that that one scene i'm thinking of frodo when edogorn calls out to him when they're standing at the edge of the, the when they say they need to get to the woods of lorian um I'm looking at Frodo's face and Elijah Wood when he turns oh, and that I one tear oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. comes down and it is incredible. It is absolutely incredible. And then obviously the conclusion of Return of the King, um, the battle scenes are epic. The the language and the um, the dialogue is incredible. Gandalf talking to Pippin about how death is not the end is incredible. It's one of my favorite speeches in any movie ever. Um, Beautiful. The two hits differently for me Um, simply because I think the group is split. You know, it's not the fellowship anymore. Uh, It's a broken, it's a broken wheel of sorts. And we're seeing how they have to adapt and they have to survive relying on these very small groups now. Merry and Pippin are having to survive. Um, Gimli, Aragorn, and Legolas are having to survive by themselves. And then, of course, Sam and Frodo, and then Gollum, um, trusting this very duplicitous creature, are having to survive. And that Helm's Deep battle is incroyable. Oh, incredible. It is so incredible because you look at it. I mean, Two Towers came out in 2002. We are oh, now God, 18 really? years. Oh my gosh, I'm thinking about that in my head. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Oh, can you believe it? <laughs> um, it's 2020 and you look at it and it still holds up. It still feels fresh. It still mm-hmm. feels technically advanced. Um, and that is that is a um, that is a testament to what Peter Jackson did, to what his team at Weta yes. did, the um, the FX team, what they were able to do, and then just the ability to build those miniatures. That is a that is a big oh part God. of why that looks so good still. Because sometimes you you need the actual physical thing in front of you. You can't do it nope. with CGI because it just doesn't hit as hard. And that's and it doesn't resonate as much with the viewer. We're we're kind of over it, I think, at times. We need to see that orc face. We need to see a like an actual model and place of you know this hat and this helmet thing mm-hmm. placed on top of somebody. Mm-hmm. And it it just looks it looks incredible on screen. It does. It looks incredible. I can I can go on and on and on and on <laughs> on and on and on. About- um the the moments in that but i think the key on that is when we see the leader mm-hmm. that Aragorn becomes in it's not Theoden you know it's it's not king Theoden he's supposed to be leading his people and he's mm-hmm. not it's Aragorn who comes through in the end and that's actually mentioned in in return of the king yeah. as well and i'm glad they touched on that because i think it's an distinction uh his journey and Aragorn's journey in becoming his own king 
and, and mm-hmm. moving past his damage as, yep. as his damage of his forefathers and yeah, his ancestors. mentioned throughout the films, but then not until to the but that to in the first film, then when you get to the second film, you kind of start to okay, this is really who this guy is. He's been denying it all the time, but he really yep. is this king. He really is this leader. And you start to see that, of course, he finally embraces it at the end of the, the trilogy. But yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I kind of want to touch on something uh, uh, Tiffany said there regarding the CGI. Um, and I can't believe we haven't mentioned this, um, but Andy Serkis has gone home. Oh, yeah, oh, I think I that is, that I mean, he's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's had other roles, but that's something that he's become known for now. Um, and y- y'all are a little bit more uh, versed in the, uh, I guess, movie lingo than me. So what, I mean, they call it what motion capture. Okay. Um, but I think yeah. that was one of the first, um, mm-hmm. uh, first main characters um, where where they did that, and I, I seem to remember it being you know revolutionary at the time, and it, it was just amazing what they what they did with that character, um, and I know there was talk at the time that he really deserved a supporting actor nomination uh, for what he did. I can't remember if he got one. Again, this is I have mom brain and can't you know think back. But I mean, I, I thought that performance was amazing. I mean, he really, I mean, he, he just, he really encaptured in, the character of Gollum um, between the voice, his movements, because it was basically all him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he did a phenomenal job. I remember I- seeing... I think it was um, on. It's on the like extended versions where the the DVDs where you can get the like interviews and stuff like that. And they were talking about his work behind the scenes and how basically they expanded the role of Gollum and they added that whole part in the beginning of Return of the King where you get to see him as Mm. Smeagol. Yep. And because of his performance, they wanted to highlight and let him be, you know kind of show him more and I, I think that was a beautiful decision because it just really it kind of brought that whole character yeah. full circle it, it kind of fleshed out um Smeagol um you know yeah. to, to be real you didn't just see him um, as this mo- yeah. monster you know no. you, you were able to see him as a person and, and who he was and where he came from Yeah, and he's he's made a total. Andy Circus has made a total oh, career yeah. of doing this. The the motion capture stuff, as you as you've mentioned before, like, I mean, like of yep. course in um, the Planet of the Apes movies and stuff, which oh, he's yeah. so good in those as well. Um, yeah, yeah, and doing that, and and I'm just looking up trying to see if um, I don't know if, if if you know Tiffany or anyone else knows if if he was nominated for that. Yeah. I'm just looking up here just to he- see. <laughs> It's he a travesty. Really he was not. Okay. Sorry, but... <laughs> it's an absolute travesty. Okay, it was Ian McKellen that was nominated because I saw on Wikipedia it saying yes. that there was a Best Supporting Actor, and I didn't know it was him. Or... But I approve okay. Ian McKellen okay. being nominated. I'm fine with that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was. 
<laughs> yeah, that, that I am absolutely okay with, but it's a travesty that Andy didn't get any love for for his role as as Gollum slash Smeagol. It's it's a travesty, especially when you look at how he catapulted from that into Aaron. You had mentioned, um, you know, the Planet of the Apes mm-hmm. trilogy. Yeah, he he's also he is oh fantastic God, yes. as Caesar yeah. in oh those films. Yeah, I mean, he's so good. <laughs> It's so good. Mm-hmm. So, so good. And he is, and he also did um, the motion capture for uh, King oh, Yeah, Kelly, that's right. The that's right. Mm-hmm. Peter's, uh, Peter Jackson mm-hmm. called Naomi Watts. He did the, um, the, the standalone for when Kong is actually moving. Yeah. So he's, and then, I mean, and he's, he was Supreme he's Leader amazing. Snoke he's amazing. In the new Star Wars. Not sure if anyone's a Star Wars fan. Sorry. Had to mention that. Oh. <laughs> No, no, it's I'm gonna throw out one where he's actually playing himself. Um, 13 going on 30. <laughs> I love that movie. So. Yeah, he's, he's the boss. Oh, he's the one the, the, Magdalene, the one with the Jennifer Garner guy, guy there. Okay, huh? Yeah, no, I'm Jennifer yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just wanted to throw he's that so out. much fun in that. Yes, he is. he is when he's when they're doing the uh thriller, the dance. thriller dance. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. A little sidetrack there, but I just, I wanted to mention that because, you know, he does the motion capture so well, but he's also good when he's playing himself. But yeah, I was definitely going to mention that character. Cause I'm like, you can't have a Lord of the Rings conversation. Okay. Even I know that <laughs> without talking about that. So <laughs> yeah. And, and I do agree, you know, CGI can be great. Um, but like you were saying, Tiffany, it's nice when you can actually see, um, cause I watched that one yesterday. So it's nice when you can actually see more expression and, um, it can feel more real when you can see uh-huh. like when not everything's covered up kind of thing. Right. So mm-hmm. that's, I mean, it makes, it makes the action, um, uh, more intense, I think at times, um, cause CGI has allowed us to do a lot of great things, but mm-hmm. at times we can rely on it too much. And it can overshadow, like, you know, other things you can get people to do. So, yeah. Okay, great. Well, what I want to touch on, and I don't know if anybody has any thoughts on this or not, but um, I this was mentioned to me by somebody else a while ago that this was something that definitely should be brought up. Uh, hmm. Clear coding with Sam and Frodo. And I know a lot of people have talked about that before. People have said it more as being queer coded instead of, like, queer baiting. Um, and I don't know if, if, does that, anyone have any thoughts on that or agree with that or anything like that? Do you have any thoughts on that, Janelle? Well, I, I'm not under, I guess you'd have to tell me what the definition of queer coding means because I'm not familiar with that. Um, is it like shipping? No, it's like, it's like when a, when a character is written as, um, like there's a lot of things they do to kind of make it seem like they, they're written as queer, but they're not, they don't outright come out and oh i got you it. so kind of like yeah it's, hinting that maybe they are but maybe they're not yeah okay. yeah whereas queer queer baiting is more um like um and and hopefully i'm i'm i am explaining this correct but um queer baiting is more like for instance in supernatural a lot of people feel that dean and Cass that that's very queer baity um it means basically they're doing everything to keep people uh, watching, especially the LGBTQ audience, to keep them watching, keep them on the hook, and say, "Yes, we're going to get these two characters together when together when they have no mm-hmm. intention ever of getting them together." Okay. It's a way of manipulating the audience and to get more viewers. Um, 
and so but 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 characters that are coded queer but not explicitly said as such so that's that's kind of yeah that's what that's what queer coding is and i guess there are there's like a lot of articles written about that with sam and frodo um and a lot of people talking about that so i just didn't know if anybody else if anyone had anything to say on that at all if you saw that at all with them or i i necessarily i guess i would say no i never really thought of that um for either sam or frodo i one of the things i always celebrated about the films um was that they showed like this deep friendship and that it was kind of okay for two guys to be close and like and be affectionate um you know that was one of the things that i always loved most about the film so um i you know i don't i personally have never picked up on that for me i don't know if anybody else like no no I mean that that was not something that ever really crossed my mind um I mean it 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 just always seemed to me um that they just you know they had a very close friendship but I never I never got that impression uh from either character so that's interesting And you, Tiffany? You know, I I can see how if you are part of the LGBTQ community that you could potentially read or yeah. view into that because I think we always want to see ourselves portrayed on screen in mm-hmm. some manner. Um, so I could potentially see that um, if I was a member of that community um, that this relationship does have some basis of um, of two of two men who love each other. Um, on the other hand, I think I take it a step further and I look at the way Tolkien wrote these two using his mm-hmm. own experiences as a soldier mm-hmm. and as someone who was in World War One, who lost multiple friends in that war who had major PTSD from it, major, you know, I mean, major, major, major trauma from this. And I think he put his own experiences on paper from that. And the one thing, and I read up on it, um, the one thing that Sam and Frodo, if you look at, at Frodo as the soldier and you look at Sam as his, they called it a Batman, and the Batman was a person who was like your valet, your confidant, your kind of semi butler of sorts. And if I'm looking at Sam and I'm looking like, okay, he's carrying like all their right. stuff. <laughs> right. You know, he's hauling around the food, he's cooking them their dinner. And, uh, and then he, he physically carries Frodo to victory. You know, at, at, you know, to a semi-victory of sorts. Um, so I, that's how I see it. Um, as someone, as this, as this intensely deep level of, yeah. it goes beyond a friendship. It's a brotherhood. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a brotherhood. So I don't necessarily see it as, um, as them being uh, this, you know, this queer couple. Um, but I can see how people could read that way or could mm-hmm. see it. No, I definitely I, I, could I agree see with that. that. I, I, you know, it, I could see how that could be interpreted. Um, I mean, for me personally, I didn't see it. Um, I don't see it, but it's one of those things like, okay, when I watch the movies again, I'll probably be looking at it with different eyes. 
Um, so I can see where it might be interpreted that way, but that was just not my impression. Okay, cool, cool though. But no, that's a lot of great insight into it because, you know, I'm someone who's on the outside looking in, having only seen one of the movies. And what I gathered from watching the one that I did watch was I could see totally this, this brotherhood and um, the, the comparison to war really makes sense to me because it's, I mean, they are really in battle. So mm -hmm. it's um, brotherhood and arms, you know, brothers in arms kind of thing. Um, and you could see that there was this real absolute trust between them and, um, pretty much beyond being just friends and beyond being just like best friends. It was, and I'm not saying with the, with queer coding, I'm just saying in general, it's, you know, like you, there are those relationships that you might get lucky enough to have in your life where that person knows you so well, knows like basically your soul almost. Um, and that you rely on them and you depend on them and they, they will have your back no matter what. And I don't know if that's exactly true for them, but that's what I kind of gathered from just watching one movie. So, and I don't know if that's the way it is in all of the movies or if that was just, if that just developed over time or, and was it that um, way in the books? Yeah, someone too? who's read them more recently than me. <laughs> I'll say this on that, Erin. Okay. Um, uh, I think that um, from the books, you know, it's not as in, it's not as intensely indicated. I'll say that, okay. that it's not as intensely indicated in the three, three hour film. So the nine, <laughs> you know, the nine plus hours that we get, mm -hmm. everything mm -hmm. is going to be very much intensified uh, yeah. on screen than it is in the books. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit more muted, but it's there. The mm -hmm. developing relationship, the the tightness, the love, and the brotherhood is there in the books as well. Sure. Okay, I could see how okay, cool. I could al almost see how people would interpret Frodo as possibly being gay or queer, um, because he doesn't really ever talk about having a love interest. There's no other, but Sam has a love interest, right? He's um, and then ends up Rosie. with uh, oh, what is her name? Uh, Rosie. Rose Cotton. Yes, Rosie. <laughs> yes. And, and you know, he's teased about that. And I, I think, I don't know if it's Frodo, just doesn't feel that that's ever going to happen, especially with what's going on with the ring and all of that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I can see that, with, I guess, with Frodo now that I think about it. But, again, it doesn't mean that. Um, you know, that what I what I said earlier, it's just I, I've always loved that it celebrated a closeness and that brotherhood, like as you guys have been saying about, um, you know, or, uh, it's the, you know, the reflection of the war and, and that brotherhood that happens with war and that was brought into the books and into the films and um, mm -hmm. because they really are going to yeah. war together, you know, um, mm -hmm. and, and that it shows that these two two men, whether they are gay or straight or whatever, they're um identification is they are close and they love each other and they're not afraid to show that and be there for each other and i think that's a beautiful thing and it's almost a lesson right to people that it's okay mm -hmm. and especially in our society where men hugging or <laughs> showing affection isn't always you know is looked down frowned upon mm -hmm. you know or um right looked at as, as different yep. strange so yeah yeah that's a good point Okay, cool. Well, um, let's get dive into Peter Jackson and his directing. Are, are you guys, I'm guessing, 
that you guys all like his direction and like what he did with the film. Um, so if you guys want to dive into talking about that, Danelle. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, the, I've always appreciated what he, he did with the films. Um, and it was so cool. I don't know if any of you guys got to see um, when his, uh, what is it, What It Works? I wonder if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, yes, What It Works. Works came to uh, Denver uh, Pop Culture Con. Um, when it was still Denver Comic-Con, um, I think it was like in his second year, and I got to go, and they had a huge setup, and they had some original stuff from Lord of the Rings and some other of the other films, and it was amazing. And to see it close up, um, they had actually, I believe it was um, his sword, Arag- Aragorn's sword, and the original from the film. And that was really cool, or, or it might have been a replica, but it was there, and some other pieces and it's just really cool to see what they the details um and that's what i think is what peter jackson really celebrated from the books was all of those beautiful details um you know even if you weren't going to see them close up in the woodwork at, at the hall right and the uh Rohirrim, um hall when they are on the top you know in their great hall and, and the carved horses on the the top of it and um, you know, just the details in Rivendell, all of those those little details. It was so exquisitely shot. Um, and of course, New Zealand's a gorgeous country, so um, and he celebrated that beautifully. I think it was like almost mm-hmm. a wonder to his his home country as well. Hmm. You know, and then celebrating Middle Earth um, and celebrating New Zealand at the same time, which I think is just a really cool way of of bringing that to life. Um, I mean, in, in, in terms of directing, um, you know, not something I'm very well versed on, but I, I will say this, um, I, I think in my opinion, it, it was just shot beautifully, um, from the, the scenery and the countryside and like Danelle said, the, the details, um, I mean, the, the whole city of uh, Minas Tirith, when they're panning in on that and how that looks into the side of the mountain. Um, I mean, just every everything, every little detail, every shot was really, I, I, I think he did a fantastic job of recreating Middle Earth in what I remembered reading as a kid. Um, and what I pictured as a kid, I think his interpretation and, and his capture of of that was spot on. Um, you know, in terms of technical things, I, I'm not you know, that I I don't necessarily that's not my thing. Uh, I'm not as well versed in that, but I mean, I, I think he did, he really did. Yeah. He did a fantastic job of capturing. Tolkien's imagination and interpreting that. And I, I mean, it was just, I, I thought it was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Awesome. And Tiffany? You know, um, I hate to say that that somebody is the only person that mm-hmm. had the vision to do something, but I honestly think that Peter Jackson was the only person that had the vision to build out mm-hmm. the trilogy like it needed to be built. Um, 
simply because um, I, I have I I have the behind the scenes, I have the director's cuts, I have all of these, I have like a billion DVDs uh, related to <laughs> and Blu-rays related to trilogy. <laughs> no, right? You can buy them on um, Amazon again. <laughs> uh, exactly. And I, I'm just um, thinking about the fact that New Line, when they, when they acquired the rights to it, they wanted oh, to make God, one no, two-hour film. And oh, wow. no way. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, how could you do that? <laughs> You think about the levels that need to be included mm-hmm. with this to make the narrative flow, and one two-hour movie mm-hmm. is just not Did going they to cut it. Read it's the just, books. <laughs> it's not exactly, exactly. No. Peter, I mean, hello, <laughs> no. you know executives. It's like that meme that's going around that every movie should have a book slapper. <laughs> Someone who reads the book and like slaps the director every time they exactly. suggest something stupid. That's a perfect example right there. <laughs> I love it's just you know and the fact that he was able to get them to see this hey guys this is what we're going to guys and women this is what we need in this we're going to need three films we're going to need a three plus hours to tell these stories and to tell them effectively to get that green lit was um i mean it took a lot of it took a lot of um intestinal fortitude on his end because they could have come back and said hey you know what we're gonna go with somebody else um, so to insist upon that, I think was his first mm-hmm. really, really great move. And then hiring the right people to get the words from the page onto the screen in an effective way was his second best move. Um, because the dialogue that we get just flows. The, um, the, the cinematography is incredible and I, I like what you said um Danelle and Sarah regarding this being a it love is. letter to New Zealand it is it is far wide pan shots um when we get the beacons oh, lighting one of my favorite scenes uh, <laughs> yes oh, I love that part that yeah. scene is just oh my gosh it makes my heart swell when I, I watch that scene and when I hear the music um Howard's I get goosebumps, right? And I mean, Howard Shore, his his compo- sure. um, composition yeah. in it, it yes. incredible, incredible. Every single layer that we get mm-hmm. is almost perfect. Oh yeah, if it's not perfect, darn near perfect. Awesome, awesome. And then, are you guys fans? Just kind of a little bit of a side note here, but are you guys fans of a lot of his other work? Then, yeah, I, I've seen I've seen several of his films, and I really like what he's done. I haven't seen his most recent. Yet. I really like um, I, I really like his interpretation of King Kong. I, I really like I thought it was um, it was a, a real like a, a real interesting move to cast Jack Black in that role of, um, of Carl, the, the movie, you know, the movie director. <laughs> um, I, th- I thought it was kind of interesting because he gives us this really snarky um, it, uh con man (laughs) but with but with wanting to make you know going to whatever ends going to the ends of the earth to make this film and to make it to make it right it's almost like is peter seeing himself in Mm -hmm. a bit (laughs) (laughs) i really yeah i really loved i love that movie i really do i don't think it got the um 
I don't think it got the shine that it should have because Naomi mm-hmm. Watts' performance in it is really excellent when you consider she's performing against a right animatronic gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting to watch him go from I don't know if people saw um, Heavenly Creatures. The Frighteners. One of his earlier earlier ones. I seem to remember seeing The Frighteners with Michael J. Fox. The Frighteners? Um sort of a I don't I don't know who yeah, he directed that. No, one. I know. That's I know what the other movie one, is. I just didn't know that he the, directed. I didn't know that he directed Lord of the Rings that. trilogy, and then and then how we stretched the Hobbit into three movies. Um, uh, that's the only other one I remember of his that I've seen. Well, no, the one that I actually was not a not a fan of um, was the Lovely Bones um, uh, because yeah. I loved that book so much. And I really didn't like uh, a lot of the casting choices in that one, I will say. Um, you know, it, it looked great. It looked great. But uh, I just, I didn't like having yeah. Mark Wahlberg, I think, was my biggest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think that was the biggest downside of that one for me. He just didn't fit with the dad in that movie. But, um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize he had directed The Frighteners. Oh, that's funny. I didn't realize that. So, cool, cool. Okay, well, um. And you guys have kind of touched somewhat on this, but I don't know if it, what the story means to you guys, if there's a personal impact that the story might have had on you. Um, is there one, Danelle? Well, I think for me, it was kind of my introduction into fandom, really. I mean, I grew up being a fan of Star Wars and things like that, but um, never being part of the fandom, if that makes sense. Um And so I think when I saw the first film, it was kind of my introduction of what being part of a true fandom really is and um, kind of understanding people's love for something, right? Um, It was one of the few films besides Star Wars, I think, that really kind of made me feel like a kid again, you know? Um, The big eyes and being, whoa! (laughs) Um, It it had been a while since a movie had done that to me. Um, Not that I hadn't loved or enjoyed a lot of films before that, but... Um, it was one of the films in a long time that really just gave me that escapism, that fully immersed. And this uh, part of it is because I, I was um, training in theater and stuff like that. So you kind of tend to get out of that mode. Like you tend to analyze work instead of being able to escape into it when you're trained in it. And so um, it was one of the first films in a while that just allowed me to really escape. And um, I wanted to be a part of that world. Um, so I, I'll be forever grateful to my friends who introduced me to it. Um, shout out to my friend Joel Smith there. <laughs> um, he's <laughs> one of the friends that introduced me to it. And, um, you know, we all went to see the film together and, and it just blew me away. So I think it's just a story, um, just a story of bravery and friendship and being able to stand up in the face of evil. And I think that's a really... Um, I. I I'm lost for word here that I'm thinking of, but Mm -hmm. it's just poignant for these day and times, right? Being willing to stand up for for what's right when there's a lot of negativity and wrong happening. And I I think that message really um, is is poignant today. It really rings true still. You know, it's a universal theme. So. Um, I mean, you know, it sort of introduced me to the world of, of fantasy um, and fantasy novels and that sort of thing. I'd always been a Star Wars fan uh, since I was a little kid, a Star Trek fan, um, 
you know, I was never much into uh, playing with uh, Barbies and dolls. I was always playing with Transformers and G.I. Joe and uh, Star Wars figures with my brother. Um, you know, that, that was always me. And, you know, it wasn't until I was an adult that mm -hmm. I learned to embrace that <laughs> nerdiness about myself. Um, but I, I think for me, and not so much um, the story or, or anything um, related, but um, I don't, uh, Aaron might know this, but my oldest son, uh, Nate, has autism. Uh, he was diagnosed when he was four. Um, so on a, a personal note for me, um, he has developed, um, it, it took a really, really long time for him to start reading. Um, and once he did, he really got into the uh, sci-fi fantasy genre. Um, so when he uh, read The Hobbit and then the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and if I start crying, I'm sorry. Um, it was it was a way for me to connect okay. with him um, because if anyone is familiar with autism, um, it can be very difficult to connect with your child um, on a personal level. Um, and, you know, sharing the books that I loved reading as a teenager um, and uh, as a kid, and seeing that now, you know, he loves those just as much as I did. It's, it's just a wonderful way um, to connect with him um, and, and, and relate to him and, and see that he, you know, he loves the same things that, that I do. And, and, you know, I did as a kid um, from music to movies to uh, books. <laughs> um, we got to go to Denver Pop Culture Con last year mm -hmm. because he's a big John Scalzi fan <laughs> um, and has read pretty much everything and wanted to go see his panels and we brought a book to be signed and he got his picture taken with him and he was just, it was so nice to see him so happy about that. Um, so for me, um, not, not as much the story but to be able to have these books that, that, that help me connect with him and, and relate to him, it's, it's a nice thing. Sorry. No, you don't have to pause. That's really beautiful. Yeah, that's really beautiful. That's great. Um, and <laughs> Tiffany, sorry. I don't want to go after that. My heart. <laughs> oh, sorry. You know, I don't talk that's about so my beautiful. kids that often, I promise. <laughs> Yeah. This is this is just one of those rare instances that it, it, you know oh, it, it sort of came up. <laughs> it was beautiful. I'm glad you I shared that. I love hearing about that. Um, the connection. I, I I love hearing about that because I think for me that's what the film represent. That's what the films represented. It was connectivity. This is pre. I mean, we're talking about pre Facebook pre-Twitter, pre-Instagram, right. Snapchat, everything else, whatever other, whatever <laughs> other, uh, yeah, I mean, there were no, there was nothing like that. We had group, we had, you know, um, um, message boards and 
like you know you had um group chats like for aol uh <laughs> dial up <laughs> and, <Yeah>. and <laughs> irc exactly Woo. and it was a way to um to really kind of discuss like my love of film because i think pre that i had movies that i liked and i had um i had films that moved me um and that that touched me but i didn't have anything that every time i saw it i found something new and i found something that really just knocked my socks off every time i watched it or every time i, I thought about it and that's what that film, that's what these films gave me. Um, it kind of made me be a sort of, a, I guess, an unofficial student mm. of film. I don't want to sound pretentious in any way because I'm definitely <laughs> not. <laughs> but <laughs> but it, I think that that's what it gave me. It made me want to learn about the way the composition came about, the way the writing came about. I wanted to learn the processes that that made me that made this come on screen and made me and the, uh, the rest of the audience love this so much. And um, in doing that and finding those answers, I was able to connect with a bunch of other people who felt the same way. And uh, in a pre multi-platform social media world, mm -hmm. that was cool. That was important. Talking to people on message boards, you know, folks who were in like, you know, West Africa, you're talking to folks who were in the Middle East, you were talking to people that were living in, in Southeast Asia. And it was just awesome. It was really a lot of fun um, and a way for us to just bond uh, over our love for the trilogy. So, you know, connection was was what it was all about. And this, it, the theme that that lists that the theme that is elevate, elevated in the films is something that carried over into real life. And I'm no, really great. I, I, I completely agree. I mean, we moved here uh, to uh, Colorado, not even two years ago. And most of the people that I've met, including Aaron, um, have been through um, various fandom groups. Um, and, and a lot of the friends that I've made, I would say over the past 10 years, have, have been through that and just sharing our love and our experiences with, with different fandoms and going to conventions and stuff. And it's one of those things I'm like, why have I waited so long to do this, to share my love and appreciation of, you know, pick, pick something, <laughs> you know, I mean, um, I mean, there, there's so many things and, and, and so many uh -huh. different fandoms that I, I absolutely adore. And I, I don't know why it took me so long to, to be proud of that, to be proud and say, you know what? Yeah, I absolutely love this. And uh, that's fine. Like I'm sitting here in the basement, which is covered with Philadelphia Eagles stuff. Thank you, husband. Uh, and I'm like, why is not to you know bring up like, you know, social commentary here, but like, why is that okay that we have pennants and flags and, Super Bowl replica ring why is this okay and socially acceptable but you know loving the Lord of the Rings or Star Wars or Star Trek or Marvel or whatever is considered geeky and nerdy I don't get it sorry I didn't mean to <laughs> yeah but I mean, just, just I mean sort of piggybacking on that is is no you know, it's in once I started accepting, yeah, the, these are things that I absolutely love and, and finding others to connect with and, and making those connections. I, I would say it's 
made my life a lot better and happier. That's awesome. I, I love what you guys said there because I really think, you know, that's the beauty of fandom. And that's part of the reason I started this podcast. And like I've said before, this podcast would not exist mm -hmm. without the people I have discovered through fandom, through Supernatural, through really the first fandom I got involved in um, outside of message boards and stuff, which we talked a lot about that on last week's episode um, is the Mindy Project, which is how I met Tiffany and how I and that that also inspired a lot of writing um, and stuff that I've done before as well. So it's mm -hmm. just I think fandom is this amazing, beautiful mm -hmm. thing. I, there are always downsides to it. Um, there's always negativity. But I think the beauty of it far outweighs that. And the fact that, you know, I wouldn't know any of you guys without yeah. Phantom. You know, that's what's so beautiful and amazing about it. And so, yeah. So I think that's 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 wonderful. I'm glad you guys shared that and, and shared your personal stories and everything. So thank you so much for that. So on that note, I think that's a really good place to stop. Um and of course, we could probably do a whole other episode on this and just talk about Lord of the Rings again. And maybe we'll do that sometime. And then definitely, you guys oh, will yeah. probably want to go back, come back for the uh, Game of Thrones I have many episodes. On that. It's not yeah. like you guys are into <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it. So that would be an interesting oh, one, especially me. since I know everybody. Oh, like, there's some no, we're not doing <laughs> Yeah, that's, yeah. That's we an entire podcast, podcast right there. Podcasts just yeah. on the last season of Game of Thrones. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it from, <laughs> from what I heard. But yeah, I understand. I mean, that's uh, I know Tiffany. I get to talk about. We're going to be doing a, a Mindy Project episode soon, and um, I know we're going to yeah. talk a lot about oh my destruction goodness. of yes. uh, that show <laughs> and. Uh, Especially the destruction of Danny Castellano. Just a little preview. There. Bitter party of one over here in California. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Well, great. Well, thank you guys so much. So we're going to close out just going around and having everybody say where they can be found if you want to be found. And if you have anything um, pop culture fandom related that you want to plug, go ahead and do that now. Start with you, Janelle. Well, I'm, I'm not, I don't do a ton of social media, but Facebook, um, I'm on Facebook, I'm on um, Instagram and Snapchat and Twitter, um, so you can find me there, um, Draven Pearl on, at Twitter um, is where you can find me, and I believe that's my Insta as well, and I just appreciate being here, so thanks for letting me join you guys, it's been cool to hear your guys' experiences mm -hmm. and um, your love of Lord of the Rings too. Well, thank you guys awesome. for having thank me. Thank you so much. Thank you for being um, here. And you can then find Sarah me on Facebook, Sarah Barnick, B A R N A I K, or on Twitter at Nate Cam Mom. It's N A T E C A M M O M. Um, those are the ones that I am most active on. Uh, nothing overly uh, uh, fandom to uh, plug. But uh, we are doing a personal uh, thing in our house, which I think Aaron's probably seen my posts about this, um, because we are all sort of uh, stuck inside thanks to uh -huh. the uh, coronavirus. Uh, I have uh, some friends and I have started the um, uh, Chopped Quarantine Challenge, where everyone in the household picks a random item from the pantry, fridge, or freezer, and then whoever is cooking dinner has to use that in their meal. 
So been doing this for a couple of days and it's actually been a lot of fun. Oh, and uh, <laughs> my uh, 17 year old is kind of boring, but my 15 year old has, uh, thinks he's throwing me for a loop, but I'm smarter than that. <laughs> so trying to make the best of a kind of crappy situation cool. right now. Well, that sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And Tiffany? You can find me mainly on Twitter at who is Tiff is me. That's W-H-O-I-S-T-I-F-F-I-S-M-E. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you can also read my recaps of various pop culture things at the game of nerds. That's also on Twitter, um, Instagram, also Snapchat, as well as Facebook. That's the game of nerds. Um, and we're always looking for writers as well. So if you're interested in um, recapping things or reviewing games, anything like that, we are looking for writers and you can reach out through the game of nerds on Facebook. Or Twitter. Awesome. And uh, we'll have a link to that as well in the show notes. Just and thanks for having me, Erin. So I appreciate it. That's so nice of course. Of course. Of course. Thank you for being here. I'm so glad you were able to come on. You and Janelle, it's always great to have uh, more people joining in on this. So, And I'm Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at EAprilBeauty. That's all one word. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Uh, be sure to like this show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. Follow us on Twitter at fandom thing pod. No it's in that one. On Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. Um, and you can email us. Like I mentioned at the end of last week's episode, I want to add interviews. So people People that are writers, um, like Tiffany, um, if you want to be on and be interviewed. Um, anyone who writes about fandom, anyone who creates fandom stuff, um, any anyone you know, even if you, if you cosplay a lot, anything like that, please reach out to me. Um, like I said, the only qualification you don't have to be female or female identifying. The only qualification is that you have to be in some way helping an underrepresented group in media, um, or you have to be part of an underrepresented group in media. So that's the only qualification that I have. So if you are interested, feel free to reach out to me on one of those social media platforms, or you can email us at it's a fandom thing pod at gmail.com. And next week we're going to be talking about Disney. So, and I know I've already said some things about Disney on this podcast that haven't always been very positive. So that'll be a very interesting little show. We're going to be talking about a lot about Disney plus and Disney acquiring a lot of different studios. So join us then. So until Thanks. next time, remember, remember it's a fandom thing. Thanks guys. Mm -hmm.